okay, this is a sign that, you know, progress is being made. You're darn right it is. It's time for another episode of You May Contribute a Verse. I'm Josh Milken, children's lit author, father, science communicator, and podcaster, joined by Brenna Jennerette, children's lit author, mother, avid climber, and outdoors person, and podcaster. This is the podcast you may contribute to Verse, where we talk to kidlit creators, share their stories, and learn from their journeys. We sit down this week for a fantastic chat with author Liesl Detlefsen, whose book Farm Boots releases from Feeding Minds Press in a scant couple of weeks as of our episode drop date. Liesl has a bunch of books out in the world, from jetpacks to kicking kittens, but this will be her third book specifically exploring the world of food. As I've covered in previous episodes, I work in agriculture science communication, so this material is really near and dear to my heart, and Liesl handles it deftly and expertly. My food bona fides are nothing compared to Liesl's though she is our first and perhaps last or only guest who married into a cranberry farm leading her to her 2015 debut time for cranberries we had such a fun chat with Liesl we're going to get into it but first a word from esteemed sponsor the Kidlit Hive I went in to record the spot and frankly was sad that these upcoming two sessions were not closer but I'm happy for you because they haven't happened yet and there's still time to register the upcoming dates that you want to be uh, marking on your calendars are March 16th and March 23rd. That's uh, in a couple of weeks as of episode publication. Uh, Adam Rex is hosting Dissecting the Frog. Oh no, we're going to try and analyze humor on that first first date of March 16th. Uh, it's a 90-minute session that will, I am absolutely certain, successfully analyze picture book humor from Adam's wealth of perspective and experience. The March 23rd date is a session with Allison Weiss, editor at Pixel and Inc., in another 90-minute session exploring the financial side of things. Allison's going to break down what it means uh, to have a profit and loss or PL statement. Uh, she's going to unpack a translating art into businessy financials, discussing the factors that publishers take into consideration when deciding whether to invest in a book. Head on over to Kidlit Hive, that's spelled K-I-D l-i-t-h-i-v-e.com and follow justin cologne on twitter for all upcoming sessions and now our verse with author liesel detlefson we don't necessarily need to open up the podcast talking about me taking taekwondo but i, but I think we should <laughs> I, I really think we should <laughs> i am yeah, I so impressed with what it my both my sons are black belts and the amount of effort and memory and grace under pressure that it requires is i think so good for everyone um but oh i'm so that sound when you miss the board i hear in my nightmares though when the board does not break of foot against wood it's just like a little bump like a bong oh yeah Yeah. like that it's oh that's it sounds so painful i wonder we're gonna have to check in on this um down the road uh i i mean my kids know that i have a black belt in taekwondo from when i was probably the the audience of cat kwondo up until high school when i switched from taekwondo to marching band i have so <laughs> many like questions like big, oh, this is like a big we left, are left so friend. insane this is great yeah yeah right <laughs> yeah but like i we had we got some cat cat furniture thing that came with a bunch of packing foam and things and and so my youngest um 
entered the realm of martial arts over the holiday break by having me hold the foam boards and punching through them. And she was very excited. Yes. <laughs> Lisa, I am so glad you came on the podcast for so many reasons. I'm excited to talk about farm boots, but also you have opened this floodgate of knowledge. I had no idea about, about <laughs> any of this with Josh. And we have been we have been podcasting and become pretty close friends over the past, you know, year or so. I knew none of this. So I am very, I'm very pleased about all of these points. Well, I'm delighted to be here and I'm happy I can bring a little light to the table on some new Josh info. This is great. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, yeah. So, okay. So one, one thing I did want to say yeah, we'll about your, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, just, just back up. I wanted to make a quick point though about the black belt in Taekwondo. I mean, that is so impressive because what you were saying about being impressed with your boys who both have black belts, yes. I feel that way about any sort of elite sport. I don't care what it is. Like if you're really good at like pool or like golfing under or like bowling, right? At, you get to a certain point and it's all mental and it's yeah. so impressive. I mean, yes, you have to have the skill and the talent and, you know, practice and all of that. But if you, if you can't mentally pull through, like it's not, it's only going to take you so far. And I just find that just like so impressive to be able to block all that out and, and focus and like do, do your thing. That's that's really interesting. My my husband is extre- extremely good athlete, um, and they've kind of my three boys have kind of p- pulled me into skiing, which it's a very mental thing for me. I don't love heights, I don't love being Ooh. cold, and I don't love going fast. So this is a really good <laughs> sport for me. I know um, what we should do. Is perfect for you, Lisa. skiing. <laughs> Let's put her on a mountain on wooden sticks and see how she does. <laughs> what could go wrong? Um, yeah, what could go wrong? But it is very mental. The idea that you know you have to trust that um, that your body knows what it's doing. And I took a lesson over the weekend with this very very patient instructor, and he said, "You do you know you're looking down at your feet instead of out to the horizon." And I said, "Well, you know, I'm not comfortable with how my body's supposed to move." He said, "You have to trust that your feet are going to do." what they're supposed to do on their own. It's like when you drive a car, you don't look at the pedals. You trust that your feet know how to use the pedals. Um, but I think that applies to writing too. You can look at your feet instead of looking at the horizon. You can get really bound up in in the details that are really muscle memory, but you're, you're stuck thinking, overthinking things and kind of getting overly critical about your form in the writing world. And then you're not looking out. So... I'm trying to keep that as my kind of motto for this year is look out, look out so at the horizon. <laughs> I have to reflect on the fact that writing is a much safer space for me, considering that if you whiff and don't break the board when you're writing, you can go back and revise. Yes, <laughs> right. Make it so that you do. There was, there was no revising that could make up for my poor Taekwondo performance when I was a kid. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, it is a really, you know, there's a really wonderful quote um, by Robert Cormier about how the wonderful thing about writing is you don't have to get it right the first time on like say brain surgery. And I love that. Yeah. Some jobs you really need to nail it the first try. Um, my first book, I think I have 34 different drafts saved and it's not that they're, you know, they're just different ways of telling the story and some of them are better than others. And I'd like to believe the published version is the best version, but you know, to some degree, it's a lot of learning, experimenting and trying it in different ways that maybe didn't resonate with the audience in the same way. What's interesting is Time for Cranberries is your first book, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. Thank back. you. And and that's um, that's probably the, the subject for which you have the deepest muscle memory. I mean, considering and we need to we need to unpack this a bit more, but you come yes. from cranberries. 
Well, to be really technical, I'm married into cranberries. So uh. I grew up drinking cranberry juice and I hadn't a clue how they were grown. It just never even, I didn't think about it. Wait, and then, where, where are you from, Liesl? So I'm originally from Janesville, Wisconsin. Which <laughs> is, I was going to guess that that's not far from me. Are you serious? I, where are you? Yeah, I'm in Sun Prairie. Oh, I love Sun Prairie. Oh, this is fun. I didn't yeah. realize it. Okay. Love and it. And I have a friend. Oh, shoot. Now, where does she live? I So I hiked um, Kilimanjaro last summer, and I oh, hiked wow. it with a bunch of other ladies from Wisconsin, and she happened to be on the trip, but she also married into cranberries. Like, she's up in, like, cranberry land, and her whole, <laughs> her whole like, you know, day revolves around these cranberries and, like, waking yeah. up in the middle of the night and, like, turning on the sprinklers and, like, yeah. the whole thing. And I was like, I had no idea. Like, yeah. So, yeah. so Janesville. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, and actually to back to marching band, I only met my husband because of marching band. He was in the UW marching band, which is, you know, incredibly um, top level marching band in the university. Kind of prestigious. Yeah. Very prestigious. My dad had been the drum major in that band. We kind of met through the band. Wow. Um, and when he started telling me about, you know, cranberries and how they're grown and where they're grown. And I thought, I can't believe two and a half hours from where I grow up, there's this whole industry I know nothing about and it's really fascinating. It's a very interesting type of agriculture. It's, I mean, all agriculture has some similarities, but it's a very unique crop. Um, so it's just really fascinating to learn about. And I kind of went from this idea that I was going to move to a big city, like I wanted to head toward Chicago or Minneapolis or New York. And instead, I'm, you know, in the most remote, remote place possible. Um, and my whole day, as you said, revolves around agriculture. Um, even though I'm not actively farming, it's very much a family business and we live right on the farm. So I, I always joke on a Venn diagram, I'm kind of right in that sweet spot of understanding agriculture, but also understanding how people don't understand agriculture. <laughs> so yes, yes, you're per you're the perfect writer for it then, because you have Thank all you. the info, right? But you can also explain it and break it down for people who are like, "What?" Because <laughs> yeah, cranberries, especially that's a weird crop. It's a very yeah. weird crop. And I, I don't think people, and I, I know I didn't appreciate how much work goes into growing our food, and we all eat every single day, so it's incredibly important to our very you know existence. Yet. There are people who think my husband just kind of like wanders around the farm most of the year and then, oh, look, those look ready to pick. And then, you know, gets out there with a rake or something. It, there's this lack of knowledge. We've all gotten so distanced from our food. And I think it's incredibly important to start telling that story more. And when Time for Cranberries did come out, when I started doing school visits, I was stunned by how many children have no frame of reference, even for, you know, where does milk come from? Walmart, quick trip. Well, yes, but before that, where do you get milk from? And that basic knowledge or that hamburger is from a cow and not from a pig because they hear ham and their mind goes a different place. Mm. And you, you can't fault kids for not knowing because you don't know what you don't know. And if they haven't been taught or haven't had the exposure, how could they know that? Right. But if we want educated eaters and consumers, we need to teach them this is where your food comes from. This is the story of, of egg. We're really coming in hot this conversation. I'm so, I, I realize like we just kind of got off on the, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to just, it's the drum I love to pound. It's my we're favorite just, thing to yeah, talk about. Came out breaking the board. It's perfect. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm here for it. Good, good. Thank you. <laughs> it, 
Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I broke the flow of the conversation. <laughs> There's just well, I, I There's got very here. tangential yeah. as I do when we talk about agriculture, because it's such an important thing to me. Yeah. And you married into it. And by the way, we're always on the hunt for the right episode title and we nailed it right away. Married into cranberries. with <laughs> Did you have a passion for food before you met your husband? Like, how did you, how did you come to that? Cause you, you've now got three, three food books. I um, do, and are, I have are with um, with feeding minds. Yes, and I actually um, just yesterday a book I have about bread is was announced, and that's more the story of my family. Um, I I think I kind of fell into food in that my mother's a very good cook, a very good baker. I grew up seeing that. I love food. I love experiencing new food and trying new things. Um, we travel. You know, we always want to find out what's. What do the locals want to eat? What is kind of the regional specialty here? Um, but I think my passion for it really was born out of this idea that I didn't know how it was grown or produced or the story of the people involved. And as you were saying, Brenna, about your friend who's up in the night, I mean, this is not a nine to five job. You know, yeah. every year my husband <laughs> says the cranberries don't care it's Christmas. If a flood <laughs> needs to go on, a flood needs to go on. Um, and that's whether our kids have a band concert or whether we had plans with friends or whether it's a holiday, uh, the crop needs tending to, and that's the way it is. Um, and then on the same hand, we're always at the mercy of weather. So you only have so much control. And that's actually like writing too, in that, you know, we write our best work and then we put it out in the world. We have no idea what, I mean, we can only move the needle so far for who finds our book, the audience for our book, what reviewers say about the book, how readers feel about the book. Mm. So you only have control over this little piece, and then you're kind of at the will of the elements. So we actually relate very well to each other in our jobs in that, you know, they're cyclical. We have very little control. <laughs> when an idea strikes, I'm sorry, like that if plans with friends, sorry, we have to cancel. I have this idea. Like I'm right. right. The writing yes. has a mind of its own. <laughs> I don't know everything. If you, <laughs> if you found this, if you're really obsessed with an idea, you just are not present with yeah, what's happening I around. Pro- <laughs> I have a real problem with that. I, yeah. Yes. And I'm constantly writing stuff down. My note, my notes app is like filled with stuff and my like planner has like stuff in the margins. And then there's like open docs open all the time where I'm like adding pieces and parts or like, I'm like workshopping stuff with my five-year-old. He's great at coming up with ideas. So like, yeah, you have to do that. And I think you probably have this too, at least where I live, I'm driving a lot. So I'm constantly talking into my notes when I have an idea and then I reread it. And, you know, the verbal recognition of my phone is limited. <laughs> so I'm reading this. What did that mean exactly? <laughs> I certainly didn't mean right. I didn't mean to take a note about trombones. What could that have been? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. Right. Let me think. Let trombone me think. note. Yes. <laughs> yeah, actually, my well, oldest I- play is trombone. So I do take notes about trombones <laughs> on occasion. <laughs> so much relatable here, at least for the two of us. Remains to be seen for the rest of our, our literal dozens of people. <laughs> you know, I was just talking about this with, not, not every book is for everybody. You know, as long as you're resonating with somebody, I feel like you can feel good about that. Yeah. So. Have you always been a writer? Yes. That is the one constant. Um, I've never wanted to do anything else. So I feel profoundly thankful that this seems to be working out okay. I I've always loved story. I've always loved telling stories. Um, 
my mom, who is a, a very wonderful library media specialist, retired, but um, I watched her go through graduate school and she would bring home books and share them with me. And even, even before I could read or write myself, I would tell her my stories and she would write them down and I would illustrate them. So it's just, it's truly the only, only job I've ever really wanted. And then, but you know, the practical part of you kind of takes over as you get older. And it was kind of going through figuring out what I was going to do as a career. And I decided I'd kind of lean into graphic design. I've always loved art and I was going to major in art um, at UW Madison. And my husband and I got engaged very young. We met very young. And um, I vividly remember walking down, if you're familiar with Madison at all, University Avenue on my first little cell phone. And calling him and crying, I hate my graphic design classes. They're really Aww. awful. I just look at them over all the computer. It's just awful. And he said, well, well, what do you want to do? And I'd never told him to this point. I don't know how it had not come up, but I, I really want to write children's books. And he said, well, do that. And I said, well, you don't make any money. You don't break <laughs> in right away. This is not like you go, you know, you apply for a job and then you have the job. It's a very long process. And he I, I love telling the story. He said, you're supporting my dream. Take over the farm. I want to support your dream too. Uh, and that's, that's really how we've operated. He now loves to say, you need to add. When you asked me uh, or when you told me about wanting to write, nowhere in there did I understand it would take you 10 years to sell your first book. <laughs> in, yeah. In your telling, you pretty clearly disclaimed. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it was... It was a fair, accurate assessment. It is a tough industry to break into, mm. uh, to stay in. It is, um, and I love that you guys are doing this podcast that helps get the word out about authors and helps share stories. And I was listening to it last night in the car, and my son was asking questions about. Oh, great! Like, what is this? This is really interesting. And I'm like, oh, that's great. This. We're gonna be on this tomorrow, and oh, that's sick. <laughs> you know, which is good. Sick is good now, apparently, and. I was so excited. I got to impress my kids briefly because, you know, I mean, that's rare. That's, yeah, and that's high <laughs> praise. Like, that, yeah. I mean, yeah. From an actual well, kid. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not your target audience probably is preteen boys, you know. <laughs> I mean, no, but that's what I'm saying. That is very high praise that he was like into it. And he's like, yeah, this is really interesting. I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah. Let, let's give the sh- give the shout out to whoever the guest was. What what was the episode you were listening to? It was Justin um, uh, Colon. Oh, Justin about- Cologne. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yes. Um, which was excellent and had all these really wonderful takeaways about how it's not no, it's not yet. And uh, rejection is a redirection. That's he a loved great that. Piece of advice. Advice. Like we need to put that on a sign in our house. And I said, yeah, that's not a bad idea. I really think we could put that. Somewhere. Like right next to the indomitable spirit, Taekwondo. Yes. Yes. Right? <laughs> perfect. Well, yes. Or crocheted on a, on a pillow or something. Yeah. It's a yes. perfect. <laughs> right. Yeah. In terms, in terms of uh, guests that we've had that could have had preteen exposure, I feel like Justin's pretty like, you know, kid, kid relatable. He's a cool dude. Yes. With right. lots he's, of transportable messages. Good point. Yeah. He's got, <laughs> he's got that whole like vibe of just sort of like he, like he's in, he's like in the know, right? He's like very smart and thoughtful and thorough. And he's got these like great, hilarious books coming out and he's very well-spoken. And yeah, so that was, that was a good one for, for your kid to have listened to. <laughs> yes. Yes. And he's so steeped in the community. And I think that really came across in the episode. Yeah. So I want to explore the 10 years. Though. Yes. 
Yeah. So unpack that. So obviously your husband or who, who would not have been your husband at the time, I don't think didn't, didn't anticipate that, but none of us really anticipate that, uh, no. how long it's going to take when we embark mm. on this, on this journey. So what was it like for you? So I graduated, um, from Madison with my degree in art and, um, it was just as well. I didn't steer into graphic design because that bubble burst right as I was graduating anyway. And because of the farm, it's not like I can move wherever a job is and working remotely was, you know, not really happening at that point. Um, so I, I was very fortunate enough that my mother's college roommate's cousin, if you can follow that, <laughs> um, had worked for Golden Books and was a freelance writer. And she kind of took me under her wing wow. and mentored me along and helped me get started as a freelance writer. So I, I did a lot of little kind of part-time different jobs while freelance writing and then working on my own craft, going to conferences, submitting my work, you know, trying to get my foot in the door. Um, in that time, I also had two children. I had some health hiccups. There was, you know, certainly things were happening, but from the publishing perspective, it really wasn't, um, I was having a hard time getting a book across the finish line. I got some lovely rejections here and there, a lot of, you know, keep going kind of stuff, you know, which we're like these, we're like these little breadcrumb collectors, aren't we as writers? Like you think, mm -hmm. I don't know if I can keep doing this. And then someone just, just hang in there, just hang in there a little moment. You know, I'd, I'd think, I don't know if I can keep doing this. And then I'd get a scholarship to a workshop and I think, okay, okay, this is a sign that, you know, progress is being made. Um, and then I went to a workshop um, at a friend's home, a private one, and an editor was there who happened to be from the Midwest, but was at Roaring Brook. And I could not stop talking about cranberries. It was similar to when I got going about egg earlier, where, I mean, it's just, I get passionate. I can't stop. And the editor said at that time, she said, no, you know, you're clearly very passionate about this. And in my experience, passionate people usually succeed. And, you know, good luck to you. I sent, when we got home from the workshop, I um, submitted something to her. It wasn't for her, but she said, you know, but send me that cranberry story when it's ready. So I got, you know, really excited, sent that off. That began a nine month process of back and forth with um, her asking for revisions. And then I'd write it, and then I wouldn't hear anything. And then um, August of 2013, um, she said, it's going to go to acquisitions. Now, I did not know this at the time, but you guys know August is crickets in publishing. Yeah. So I would wait yeah, by yeah. the computer, wait to hear, to go to acquisitions, what happened. And then I'd get an email Monday morning. Sorry, the meeting got canceled. People were on vacation. I mean, this meeting got rescheduled so many times. Gosh, I was just so. really like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Is this really going to happen? And then um, the day the call came in, I was actually <laughs> I was recovering from Lyme disease. So I was very, very tired. And we'd had a very oh long gosh, day. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of at a weird crossroads thing. I had two small children at the time and I had taken a nap with my youngest because I was just recovering and my oldest was playing sweetly as he does or did. And then I, you know, get up from this nap. I have this New York number on my voicemail and I listen to it and it's, you know, hi, it's Kate. I have very good news. Call <sighs> me back. Oh my and I just gosh. started to shake and I yeah. ran to my oldest child. I said, Whatever you do, do not interrupt me. You may watch whatever you want on TV. <laughs> right. If your brother wakes up, please keep him out of trouble. Just please, please. Um, and I went and I called her and she said, how are you? 
And they said, I don't know. You tell me. Yeah, right. You're like, you're like, who cares? What's the news? Yes. What is it? And she said, we would like to buy your book. And I, I just, I, it was just that it's that call that every, you know, that you wait for. And by coincidence, my husband had come in off the farm and he heard me on the phone and I kind of turned to him and went like this and was kind of teary. And I remember he put his like hand against the front door to kind of stabilize himself because he was so excited about the call too. So it was a big, big moment. Like this is really, this is going to happen. And I, I was so thankful at how um, my editor and everybody at Rowing Brook did such an amazing job to make sure the book was accurate and beautiful and, you know, everything I could hope for, for a first book experience. That's another thing that we can talk about in a, in a bit after, after my, Follow-up question is how how scientifically and pr- practice accurate it is, which which takes some research uh, and yes. negotiation to do. I, w- I want to track this though and unpack this <clears throat> a little bit more. So th- this is the editor that was at the pr- the private residence workshop. Correct. It's, yes. It's it strikes me as I mean one I'll, I'll I'll observe that you you did this with without an an agent, which isn't isn't all that uncommon. But this strikes me as an exceptionally transparent and collaborative relationship that you had with this editor who clearly was interested in your work and wanted to see it through. So you really seem to have had an advocate. It, it, she was wonderful. And it was, I've never had that process again, where she saw that many different drafts before either saying this isn't going to work or a sale. And I remember at one point feeling like, I don't know what's going to come out of this. This is, we haven't talked about contracts. We haven't talked about I mean, acquisitions hadn't come up. And my mother very wisely said to me, she said, you're basically going to school for free right now. You are learning so much about the industry right now. Who cares if you don't sell it? You are getting an education in working with an editor, with revising toward a goal. This is, you can't buy this. And that really helped me flip my mindset of, oh my gosh, I have to sell this. I have to sell this to I'm going to take in everything I can. I'm going to be grateful for all the help I'm being given here. I'm going to make this my best work. And if it happens, that's amazing. If it doesn't, I still have a stronger product to shop elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And, and it, that really, I think, helped. You know, you don't do your best work when you're all clenched up worrying about selling it. You just don't. So it was a really good thing to have that kind of flip. And it's a what point. super well made. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, because what a refreshing. Um, take for for people listening because I have several critique partners and just you know you hear from other people like um like how how was your holiday like how many of your relatives were like did you sell a book yet and you just have to be like no like you know it takes a while yes. and you're just like you know um I I'm pretty lucky like my family is also very supportive but I love that your mom was like not not that person right she wasn't trying yeah. to like I ask you these questions like, when's your book going to sell? Like you've been doing all this work and like what, you know, like where's the finished product, right? Instead, it was like, no, no, no. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Instead, it was like, no, like, like, look at this for what it is. Like, this is a big deal. Like, I I love that. I mean, that's such a mom thing. Like, you know, she had such wherewithal to just be like, no, this is this is great. This is a learning, you know, opportunity. Like, just take it all in. Like, that's yeah, that's great advice. Yeah. and And I think, you know, on the flip of that, I then got this idea that every time you're working with an editor, it'll go through eventually. And that I have found is not the case. <laughs> this has happened then since where I've had an editor ask for revision and we've gone through revisions and then it hasn't worked out. And the mm. first time it didn't work out, I was 
well, this isn't right. Like, what happened here? <laughs> right? You're um, like, wait a second. <laughs> you know, wait a second. But, you know, I think you get better at learning not just when you're growing the work and getting better and learning something, but sometimes you discover this person and I are never going to see eye to eye on this project. Mm-hmm. I want it to go this way. She wants it or he wants it to go this way. This is not we're going to wind up with something that doesn't satisfy either of us and then going with your gut to decide this is not the right, you know, this is not the right avenue for this project or with this editor at this time. And there's a value in that too, to understanding at what point do you say we need to just call it a day on on a project. But that do you, mm, it's a hard state of mind to get into though. Yeah. Um, here's my perspective and my reaction to what what you just related is that I, I've built my writing career, which is corporate in nature, in writing to spec and writing to other people's uh, take. And I mean, we've gotten to a place now where um, I can write and it's largely received, but there's there's not been in my history a lot of opportunity to stand up for my writing. Um, okay. It's interesting and, and not, it's not a dig on the path that I've had. It's just, it's an interesting twist to get to the place where you're um, self-actualized or believe in your work to the extent that, uh, you know, you could, you could walk away from a potential collaboration um, or, or be able to stand on that equal footing with established industry professionals and just have it, have that negotiation. Um it's an interesting place to be. Yeah. I would, I can relate to that in that um, I don't do a lot of freelance writing anymore because I hit a point where I found that was not serving my own work for, for reasons similar mm-hmm. to what you're saying. When you get hired to do a specific job, no one cares if you're having a creative difference. It's like you got hired <laughs> for this job. You right. need to finish it. And there were times I was writing and I felt like my work wasn't necessarily getting better through the revision process. It was just changing to suit the needs of, you know, I did a lot of test writing and things like that. And I discovered it was draining me of my my creative energy. I needed to find a, a way to supplement my writing income that wasn't writing so that I could kind of steer all my writing energy just the one direction. Um, and that turned out to be really a good a good thing for me. But that's not you know, it doesn't work for everybody. I, I wound up substitute teaching for a number of years. And that was really great in that that's a job that starts at this time, ends at this time, you get to be around kids. It's mm-hmm. incredibly draining and difficult, but in a different way completely. <clears throat> yeah. And you don't have the same, um, you know, you're not taking the time with your writing then to try to appease a different set of rules or a different set of um you know, it's just different when you're working with a client who's paying you versus, you know, trying to get it through the editorial door. So I understand what you're saying about that, too. Hey, everybody, quick break for a few book reviews and a couple of shout outs. Here's John's review for the week. When a boy finds a penguin following him everywhere he goes, he does his best to try and help the penguin find his home, even if it means traveling all the way to the South Pole. Paired with vibrant and imaginative watercolor illustrations, Lost and Found by Oliver Jeffers is a story of an unlikely companionship that helps to express the importance of understanding, friendship, and belonging. After all, home is where you make it, even if you are a penguin. Brenna's review for the week is Roar, R-O-A-W-R, by Barbara Juice and illustrated by uh, Jan Jute. 
this book is a bit on the older end, published in 2009, which is alarmingly longer ago than I realized, but I couldn't resist, or Brenda couldn't resist, the review. It's a simple premise of a boy playing pretend in his room, battling a bear and saving his mother, but what really makes it come alive are the vibrant and descriptive language. From the opening sentence, One Dark and Snarly Night, to Double Cake and Snore Asleep, this book will draw you in. It's a masterclass in evocative, active language. And finally, do not lick this book. My review is for microbiologist Eden Ben Barak's interactive creative nonfiction that dives super deep into ways Ant-Man could only dream of. This book is a really great example both of mixed media and mixed genre, leveraging microscopic photography and cute representations of real bacteria to get kids excited about the world zoomed in. We've got two shout-outs this week. Brittany Pomalis wants to give Kelly Swemba a shout out on the release of her debut Missing Violet, and I'm very excited to catch this as well, Kelly. Publishing has been a wild ride, but it was all worth it. Congrats, friend. Sincerely from Brittany, from Brenna, John, and me, and from the whole KidLit community. Second shout out still counts in my book because it's my book and I say so. Three days after this episode drops, I will be standing next to, or at least somewhere in the vicinity of, my brother and the first podcast on this show as he gets married. Congratulations, Jeremy. I love you, brother, even though you don't listen to this podcast. As always, check out our link tree for a link to send in your own shout out in celebration of your kid lit peers, friends, coaches, and champions. And now back to our chat. Any any job that you take that's not adjacent to writing, I suppose is going to be rife with the potential for ideas. But teaching, I, I imagine to be especially, um, you're doing a completely different job with a, a different part of your brain and you're coming yes. away with all these experiences that can inform. Um, so what you're saying though, is that me as a, as a corporate writer, I need to take a job that's actually on a farm. <laughs> go, go farm for eight hours a day so that I can come back fresh. Come home. Fresh. You, you need to start growing some cranberries, and uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then you have a little. I'm in, the wrong part. I'm in corn country here. <laughs> just put a bunch of cranberries in your swimming pool or something like that, Josh. Just it's just a tiny crop. We're just starting small. Oh, <laughs> You'd have to drain the pool first, though. So they do not grow in water. I feel like that's very important to make sure to say. Right. And I didn't know that. So thank you. That's, all, that's helpful information. Like <laughs> Everyone just sees the commercials where they're floating in water. So people yes. think that. Yeah. Yeah. But they're really only in water for that, for that brief time. So. So have you, so, okay. So it took 10 years to, to get your first book published. And this editor pointed out that you were very passionate about these cranberries. And so you wrote yes. the cranberry book that got you in the door and now you have all these food books out. So did you always write about food? Was it sort of always in the background or are there a bunch of like manuscript out there about like cats, for instance, like your cat Kwando or like something else that you also sort of saw come up a lot in your writing. I have a, I'm, I feel really lucky. I have a wide variety of topics and they kind of fall into, um, I have the agricultural books, but then I have some pretty varied things. My second book was called, if you had a Jetpack," So Awesome. No cranberries to be seen, not a cranberry insight, but very much a uh, very fun circular story told in second person about, you know, if you were bored and you didn't have anything to do, of course, you're going to build a jetpack. And then what happens after that? And that was born out of um, when you talk about your your five-year-old giving you wonderful ideas. My oldest at the time was about five and obsessed with Buzz Lightyear and jetpacks awesome. and transportation, generally speaking. 
And I remember him saying, I want a book about jetpacks. So we trot down to the library and we, you know, we we ask our favorite librarian, Miss Carrie, Miss Carrie, where are the jetpack books? And, you know, we check nonfiction and fiction and even in the adult section and there are no jetpack books to be seen. And he kind of looks at me, well, you write. You could write me one. <laughs> yeah, right. Bring that oh, out real quick. Well, yeah, I could probably do that. Um, but it was so much fun to write. And that was the first project my um, my lovely agent, Jennifer Matson ever saw, uh, who I met at a agent day kind of pitch workshop. And that was the book I took to that. And that's the first book we sold together. Um, and she's always been incredible about not trying to limit what I'm writing about. Um, so we have, you know, we have Cat Kwon Do and we have another book, um, On the Go Awesome, which is about all kinds of different vehicles. Um, and I have the egg books and then I have a lot of more serious kind of lyrical books in the pipeline. And I love that she's never said, well, I need you to just do food books. That's just never been a thing that's happened. Um, and I can't imagine not always having that as part of what I'm doing, but I love being able to you know, color outside the lines, as it were, with with what I'm writing. Yeah, I can sympathize with that a lot because I feel like I I like to sort of yeah go all over the place, like try something new, try interactive, try breaking the fourth wall, nonfiction. Yeah. Like, yeah, I I've strayed recently. Actually, there was a um, there's an anthology call out for a horror mom piece, and I was like, hmm, that sounds kind of fun. Ooh. I might try that. So, <laughs> so that yeah, sounds interesting. Right. Not, not kid lit, obviously, but I was like, <laughs> yeah, that sounds, that sounds kind of fun. And Josh and I have had several conversations on the podcast about how humor, which is what I typically write, it is the other side of the coin from horror because it, you sort of write it in the same way. You sort of build the tension and then you give, you have the release, right? It's just a different kind. And I was That's like, fascinating. That, yeah. yeah. Our, our episode with Allie Malininko, um, you could circle back and listen yes. to that one. We talk all about it. And she, she is so articulate and well-spoken about why horror is so important for kids and, you know, why she writes it. But she was the one who first like turned that light bulb on for me. And I was like, that's really interesting. I'm like, and that would be kind of fun. Like, let me see if I can do that. So anyways, so I get what you're saying. Like, I kind of, I kind of like to stretch those muscles just to see, just to like yeah. try it on. And it's been, yeah, it's been um, really fun to see where those go. And actually, so before I forget, because we did not um, mention this in our emails to you and I keep, it keeps like slipping my mind because we're trying to, you know, sort out everything else, the scheduling. So we do something called the Dead Manuscript Society which is if you have a manuscript that you like polish, 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 you know, sent out, whatever, it's not going anywhere, but you still love it. And you would like yeah. to share it on the podcast. Uh, th think about that. You can, no pressure, but if one comes to mind as we're talking and you want to bring it up at the end, we would love to hear it. But again, no pressure. Okay. I don't know if I can come to, I mean, there's, there are plenty. I have plenty. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sorry we didn't give you a heads up. I, I forgot. And then as we were talking, I was like, oh my gosh, she probably has a lot of like amazing gems that could be shared. So. Well, that's generous. I don't know if they're amazing, <laughs> but they are dead. So <laughs> that criteria. Yes. Yes. But they do. Um, it is really fun to get to try different things. I was thinking this morning as I was kind of thinking through talking about farm boots, because as you know, when you have books that you've worked, I mean, the publishing process is so slow. It's like, okay, what, 
what are my favorite things about that? Because that was written, you know, years ago now because of the way things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but Farm Boots is my first rhyming book. And that's one where um, I've always enjoyed writing in rhyme. I, I have written in rhyme, but it's definitely the first book I felt comfortable in sharing with my agent in rhyme and saying, you know, what do you think? I'm sure you we're, were told to do a million. This. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because we're told, you know, thou shalt not write in rhyme, you know, unless you are a poet laureate somewhere. It's it's kind of right. a thing that you, and for good reason, because bad rhyme is awful. And as parents, you know, reading bad rhyme is, you know, just one of the seven circles of hell. So it's. Uh, <laughs> yes. yes, that is so true. I'm always like, uh Cool. Yeah. I know you really like that book. I don't know what happened to it. Sorry, buddy. Like I'll, yeah. I'll see if I can find it. <laughs> or you try to skip a few pages at once and your kids, you missed the part with the hippopotamus. Totally. I'm like, how do you know that? I'm like, the pages must have stuck together. Sorry. Not sorry. <laughs> oh, yes. So, but, uh, yeah. Was there, was there ever any, uh, okay. So we're moving into farm boots territory here. Um, was there ever any any question as to whether or not that would be a rhyming book? Did you no, conceptualize it as one? It, it just came out that way. And if you've ever had a rhyming book come out and then tried to make it not rhyme, mm. you know, or do the, I, and maybe, maybe other people are able to do this, but I find if it comes out in rhyme, that's what it is. And you can't make it be something it isn't. And I have the reverse where to take something that isn't in rhyme and try to make it rhyme. It's, it's tough. I've I've heard the 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 advice to uh, oh to find the real voice of a manuscript that you want to write in rhyme try it without and I just don't I don't like I don't understand that Me I mean either. my my process is conceptualize execute then revise usually whatever whatever the concept is that 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 you start with is is how it ends up I would and agree and, I, and diverge diverge too much yeah if you try something different. I would agree. And maybe you'll change the scheme a little bit or you'll, you know, make it longer or shorter and you're going to absolutely revise it. But I think if that's where the heart of the story is, that's kind of where the heart is. And especially Farm Boots is a little younger than most of my picture books. Those younger kids love rhyme. It's so Mm. much fun. They can anticipate words. You know, it becomes almost like a song or a game. And there's a reason rhyme books are published because even though it's so difficult, they're wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. so it was really something where I felt like this makes sense for this book to be in rhyme, especially since it's a fairly simple story where we're going through four seasons, but looking at different kinds of farms and different kinds of boots that you would wear for that. But, um, and that came out of truly, so I have these enormous hip boots that I wear if I'm helping for harvest. Kids love those boots. This, I did not realize children's obsession with boots until I started doing school visits with cranberries and Kids would wait in line, 20, 30 kids deep, to try on my boots. I mean, <laughs> they really didn't care about anything else except these enormous yeah. boots that, you know. Oh, like you, you realize fit. how gross these are? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You could fit a whole yeah. kid in one boot. Um, yeah. <laughs> but then I started thinking about how we do have lots of different kinds of boots for different jobs and different seasons. And that'd be a really interesting premise for, for a story. And it just, as you say, that was the voice that came out in. And it, it just... Um, the word choice definitely changed, but I would not say that the premise changed much. Originally, it was less farmy. It was more 
just, you know, boots generally for all the different things children in general wear boots for. And then we kind of moved toward that farm focus, um, which I think gave it more of a story, more story element. Um, and that's my second book with illustrator Renee Curla, who is unbelievable, um, both talent and as a human. She's just the loveliest person. Um, and her art is so joyful. I, you, you got to see it, right? The- yes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I loved wonderful. How- and I loved how colorful. It's so colorful. Yes. Yeah, she teased me once. She said, I try to use just a couple colors and I wind up using all of them. Said, well, <laughs> when you do so well with all of them, why would you fight yeah. that? I mean, it's... Yeah, yeah. Yourself, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. I was going to say, I love how many layers there are to farm boots, like the seasons and the rhyming and the playing and like talking about farm stuff and just like, you know, where stuff comes from. And I, I also love what you're talking about with the rhyme. Um, how kids can anticipate. So the sing off key line was my favorite because I, I was anticipating, I don't know what, but something else. And that one made me laugh. I was like, Oh, oh good. That's, that's perfect. It was perfect. Yeah. Cause I was ready to like fill in the rhyme, like you're saying anticipate, but it was like a fun surprise. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly right. Because nobody sings carols on key. Like, you know, thank you for, thank you for calling that out. Actually, my, my, my sister's also a library media specialist and her husband's a, a choral director and an incredibly gifted one. But when she saw that line, she said, oh, he's not going to like the off-key part. And I said, well, <laughs> have you heard people singing carols? You know, right. it's not they're bad. This is general public. <laughs> right. It, it's just for fun. Like, nobody's good at it. It's like karaoke, you know? Right. I mean. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah. I learned from um, a close writer friend of mine, when you're writing in rhyme, you have to have people from different parts of the country read your book out loud to you. Because how they read rhyme can vary so wildly for how they pronounce certain words. True. So that's been an interesting education, too, as I worked on that book. Um, It really helps to call a critique partner and say, can you just read this out loud to me and I'll listen to where you stumble or what word you're pronouncing in a way I'm not expecting or Especially coming from the Midwest, I'm going to say. I want to say we add, like, syllables where there are not always syllables. Like caramel right or like caramel we like take stuff out or we like you know what I mean like we yeah. just sort of like <laughs> so so I feel like especially as a Midwesterner that comes up for me a lot so <laughs> I feel that's bad. fair I that's <laughs> valid yeah it, it takes a little effort to make sure everybody's going to read it smoothly the same way right yeah it opens up a whole world of possibility in writing um writing picture books specifically in in a regional dialect, like let's let's explore what it means to be from Brooklyn. Let's write in a Brooklyn accent. And just mm-hmm. <laughs> interesting. I'm not the person to do that, but it's an interesting it's an interesting thought. So I, I'm curious. Did you uh, second book with feeding minds? Yes. Did you and Jennifer conceptualize farm boots as hey, this would be a feeding minds book? Do you talk to Julie? about that, or how 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 did that come to be? Yeah, I, I I'm I'm trying to think back to the process, if I'm remembering this correctly, it started as more of a general boot book. And we tried it um, with a very small handful of editors who liked it, but felt like, you know, this is the kiss of death that many of my books have had. It's slight. Have you, have you gotten this feedback on a book? No. Oh, I don't write slight. Oh. Well, now <laughs> I feel real insecure. Okay. What does it mean? <laughs> slight means there's not enough meat to it, or there's when you were talking, Brenna, about layers, I think it's it's an objection to the lack of depth. 
Okay. Huh. So when we were kind of looking back on it, it it made a lot of sense to then let's retool this with an agricultural feel. Mm. So you have this deeper layer and deeper meaning to it. But the difficulty with that is that that kind of then it was like, well, then this, now this is definitely a feeding minds book. And there aren't sadly a lot of avenues for agricultural books. Um, so it was really a hope and a prayer that that would work out with them. Um, uh, and I was delighted that they were enthusiastic about the book and that they also wanted to repair me with Renee uh, because I love Renee's work so much. And it was so perfect for right this very minute in my head. That's already what I was picturing was her work again. Um and because of right this very minute, we did not know each other going into that book. Um, but I, I, she was my first choice for right this very minute because I got to weigh in on the illustrator for that book. Um, and then we met at a conference after that, and we've gotten to be very good friends. She's just the loveliest person, and we've critiqued work for each other a little bit, which is really great getting an illustrator's insight on something you're writing. You know, totally. I'll say, is there enough room for illustrator in this? What do you would you enjoy this? What do you think? And that's been really lovely. Um, but it was wonderful then that Farm Boots that kind of all came together. And then we had to wait a little longer because Renee's schedule um, was a little bit backed up. Um, so now it's exciting that it's finally coming out and I get to, to share it. And the last two books I had came out right during, you know, the most intense part of COVID lockdown kind of, mm. well, not lockdown, but definitely we were not celebrating them in person. Um right. So this is very exciting to have a book that, you know, I get to be in bookstores and schools and, and talk about yeah. with people. And break and out those cranberry cool boots again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> we, we, so um, over Christmas break, my kids helped me film a little um, Instagram video with, and we were dropping boots over the side of our stairs to kind of show all the different <laughs> kinds of boots we have on the farm and Oh, it was so loud and they were kind, we were trying to get the timing to a song just right and there were boots hitting the walls and my husband comes home and he's like what are you guys doing throwing boots all over the house it's a thing it's a promo thing just don't worry about it it's all cleaned up <laughs> it's a writing okay. thing you wouldn't understand yes it's, this is part of my process so as, as an artist is that right <laughs> as an artist who needs to do uh, to think creatively about marketing yeah. yes which wow is that a different hat to put on right it's, it's oh, yeah. uh i i have to say um i had a a completely different conception because of how how farm boots ended up a, a different conception for how i imagined it came to be because the the end product is julia you know at feeding minds feels like uh you know almost like a like a spiritual sequel to write this very minute because it's with the same publisher the same you know the same tone and general subject matter same illustrator um, it, it's interesting that it, it did take a different path and you did not bank on that or plan on that or negotiate that with, with Julie from the get-go. Um, path is not always how we, how we imagine it. It isn't. I appreciate you saying that it is. Um, I'm incredibly thankful to be working with, um, with my agent, Jennifer. She's so wonderful and so good at looking at avenues for my work, um, in a very broad way. Um, and I really appreciate that because I think that's difficult for an author to to be able to see lots of possibilities for where a book could go or how a book could wind up and being able, you're talking about, you know, putting on the marketing hat and figuring out, okay, what is the best 
move, not just for this book, but for your career to try to grow relationships with publishers and to try to have things timed in kind of a certain way, which of course that never really works out the way you want it to, but to at least attempt to kind of have things come out more steadily. And um, that's, that's a challenge. And I, I value having that guidance. It's um, I've described working with her as the difference between um, getting dressed in the closet with the light on and the light off. You know, if the light's off in my closet, I'll probably put together an okay outfit. It's probably, it might clash. It might be seasonally inappropriate. I don't know, but I will have clothes on. <laughs> but, you know, working with her, I have a better chance of, of being able to put things together correctly and, and get out the door, you know, looking appropriate. <laughs> so, so. Jennifer Matson, A Light in the Darkness. Yes. Yes. Love that. That should be on her business cards. I'm going to suggest that. Let's get her on the podcast and then we'll give her access to that. That's yes. <laughs> yeah, I think right. that's a great idea. I love it. That's a great way to put it though. I mean, you just, because unless you're with a big publishing house, you writers are sort of like, okay, your book is out and now good luck. Like yeah. do whatever you think sounds good for marketing. And you're just like, uh, okay, cool. I guess I'll like tell my friends and like, you know, like you just sort of like, you, you don't know what to do. I feel like that's very paralyzing. I don't, I don't have a book out to be clear, but I know, you know, I've talked to lots of people who do, and it's sort of like you take on what you can, you do the things you find enjoyable and you just sort of see where it goes. But yes. beyond that, you don't have a whole lot of guidance or funding or help, you know, like you just, you just don't know. Like Jocelyn Rich, she, um, with Battle of the Butts, she had this great idea and she came out with like word searches and she did this countdown and she did pictures and she, she had on Instagram, like send in pictures of your furry pets, butt and like, I'll post it and, <laughs> you know, like to get people involved and excited. I'm like, that's so smart. But she did that all on her own. This is like a whole like personal campaign. And she just thought it was fun and that's yeah. awesome. And, you know, totally great. But like, it would be so nice if you had a little bit of help or a, a sounding board even, or just like point me in the right direction, you know? It would. And with with right this very minute, Feeding Minds did this wonderful thing where they had they invited farmers and, and ranchers and growers all over the country to tape themselves showing what they were doing on their farms right at that moment and send those videos in. And wow, was that exciting That's as an author. Cool. It is. And, you know, what we do is very isolating most of the time. You know, when we're writing, it's a very um, quiet, introverted process. And then to have your work go out, it's a little like, oh, you know, that's my baby going into the world. I, I hope I hope they bring their cell phone with and, you know, <laughs> wear their seatbelts. You know, it's, it's, you're a little worried to have those go out in the world and to have it embraced that way and, and see it not just resonating with readers, but having farmers feel like it's an opportunity for them to share what they're doing and have a say in, in the um, – the perception from consumers was really exciting to see that happen. Um, I was very grateful for that. But you don't, as you say, you don't always have a say over what clicks with a book. Um, with If You Had a Jetpack, I have these kind of adverb phrases. And that book really got embraced by reading specialists to talk about parts of speech. Now, when oh, I was writing that, that was not in my head at all. Mm-hmm. But I've completely leaned into that with school visits to talk about parts of speech and adverbs and what you use an adverb for and 
And that was such a great opportunity for me to use that in the classroom myself. But that wasn't in my head when I was writing it. And I wasn't advertising it that, you know, we weren't marketing it as this is a parts of speech book, you know, use it in your classrooms. Um, But I think a lot of times teachers find the best use for your book too, which is really exciting to see. I, that's fascinating. Um, how there's no way, I mean, to your point, just reinforcing your point, there's no way that, that we could write to spec. If we did, it would be way too specific and, and niche a book. It's, it's better to sort of organically understand unless yes. you're, unless you are specifically writing to a niche, which we've talked to authors who have, have done that. <clears throat> They've got a very narrow audience in mind or use case in mind for their book. Um, but it's, it's interesting, I'm sure from your perspective to see how it, how things take shape. And then for you to be open enough to adapt to how you see it being used in the market. Yeah. And I, I, I would agree that you can't write toward those things. Um, Kat Kwon Do too, which we mentioned earlier, um, that has been marketed as a social emotional learning book. And that was something too, where that was not in my head while I was writing it, but it absolutely makes sense to use it that way. Cause it's about the character, um, this kitten who wants to break a board, wants to excel at Taekwondo, but tries and fails and has to go through all these steps of learning the sport and going through, you know, getting a higher belt so that she can learn to break a board and then go to testing. And she struggles before ultimately succeeding. Um, but that is absolutely what that is. That's a social emotional learning text but I'm not sure it would have turned out as well, even if I'd had that in my head that, okay, I must write a social emotional learning mm-hmm. book right now. That's what the market needs. Um, I don't think that should be the driver in, when you're trying to tell a story. It's interesting how some people work really well with those uh, sort of like barriers or ramifications, right? Like the more structure, the better, because it's like, okay, I've whittled away this like piece to work in. And now it feels like sort like safe. Like these are the tools I can work with. And other people like myself included, I feel like being boxed in like that. Yeah, it doesn't work for me. Like it's, uh, it becomes this like overworked over like thought piece. And so I need like a wide open lane to just be like, I'm going to do whatever. And if it comes out SEL, awesome. And if it doesn't, then that's fine too. So I'm, I'm with you. Like, I feel like if it goes that way, then that's, that's great. And like lean into it. But if I think too much about it, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. I would agree with you. And I think it's, it's easier to start broad and kind of taper it down than, than go the other way. Right. Like in revisions, right? Like, okay, make that SEL piece, you know, come out, like pull it yes. out a little bit, right? If it if it's there organically, sure. But if it's not, you know, going back in and revisions and be like, oh, I know, I'll just drop this piece in. It's like, well, that, nope, that's not going to work at all, right? Because then it changes the whole flow and the whole thought process and all of it. So, yeah. And here's <clears throat> what this part of the conversation is doing to to make me sort of reflect on my own writing as a, as a corporate writer, we've covered this part. I, I write to spec. I write for a specific use case and specific art, audience, specific marketing need. And uh, I guess what this is helping me realize is <clears throat> I take that approach in some of my manuscripts as well. And some of what makes revisions hard for me in my writing and that stalls a lot of my manuscripts is that, yeah, I have a pretty specific use case oh. um, in, in mind for a manuscript. I, I envision it being read in in this way. And so I want to include a rhyming refrain and patterns and things mm-hmm. that are, are teachable that kind of maybe maybe limit 
um, how flexible the manuscript can be. So it's a nice opportunity for reflection. The other thing that I'll mention is I feel like I ask this question on the podcast uh, all the time, this notion of how do you envision your story being read? Do you think of this as a read aloud book at a library or a bedtime book at, at a library? And I think that reflects that, that audience mindset that, uh, that, that I, I keep in mind just because I, I live in the marketing world. Um, yes. So it's good. It's a good reminder to just to, to follow where your passion is and where your interest is and don't, don't presume that you know how your work is going to be consumed because we only, again, to that, to that farm analogy, we only have so much control over that in the end. Right. Right. I would, I would strongly agree with that. Um, I do think what you're doing is smart though, too, to think about the end use, particularly with reading aloud. I'm always stunned by how many beginning writers don't read their work out loud. And if you're writing picture books, you have to read. I mean, it's going to be read aloud. That's the whole point of picture books. You have to do that. So I think there's a real fine balance between what you're talking about with thinking about the end user and where is this going and, and being open to exploring different ways of storytelling and, you know, try writing this second person book in first person or third person and see what happens and, either you'll love it or you hate it, but you have more information. Mm. And back to what you were talking about revision, I love that you can save a file as a different name and you still have the original. It's the best yes. thing in the whole world, right? Because yes. <laughs> that gives you the freedom to play with still having the security blanket of, I can go back to that old draft if that truly was better. Right. Mm-hmm. Which coming from my background in college of painting if you revise a painting, you cannot get back to the first draft of the painting. You just have Without the very one. expensive restoration. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I greatly appreciate that. And I'm sure um, you, you both probably have, well, maybe you don't. Maybe I'm the only one who does this, but we have multiple files just titled different, slightly different things. No, nope, Brenda yeah. does that. <laughs> yeah, I do that. I do that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Josh, Josh is like the one, the one draft. I, I, I paint have. my manuscripts. Yeah. Well, yes. it's not always particularly productive <laughs> for me, but yeah. That's Whereas I, yeah, I'm on like draft 52. I'm like, Josh, can you read this one more time? <laughs> like a cre- it, it's, it, it's an interesting sort of creative multiverse that allows you to have that undo key to go yeah, back right. and sort of compare and contrast your different approaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. On I'm rare occasion, it. I've had, I've had Jennifer say, which draft are we sending out? <laughs> Do you want this version or this version? Well, which is better, you know, but and it's, yeah, right. sometimes they're just different and you have to decide what makes the most sense or what gets to the heart of what you're trying to say. And yeah, yeah. yeah. it's so subjective. Um, Okay, well, we're edging up towards the hour. So, gosh, if, that one fast. <laughs> I know. Well, if you have a dead manuscript and you would like to read it, we could do that now. But if you don't, that's that's totally cool. And then we'll just we'll wrap yeah, up. Yeah, we'll cut cut that part out. Yeah. yeah. I think I'd have to look for far too long to to okay. like, nothing's popping straight to mind. No, so. that's fine. I'm sorry we didn't give you a heads up. Yeah, we sprung it on you. And if if something comes to mind, you feel like it would be a really good read or an add to the episode, thematically appropriate or whatever, uh, let us know and we can pop in and do another recording. That's not not unheard of. Uh, yeah, right. Real quick. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, otherwise, this, is, this has been great. It's gone so fast. And yeah. I love I love the new way. Um, the, the new parallels that I'm drawing between the uncontrollable nature of both farming and 
writing. Mm. Good. And how, how we do our best regardless. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming to join us. Oh, I mean, this my was pleasure. So fun. Oh, I had the best time and I really enjoyed it. Um, I was, I have to tell you quickly, I was so excited that you guys use Zencaster. I, Josh knows this, but I'm starting a podcast with a dear friend of mine <gasps> and we, we really struggled for what would work best because of our two different locations. And we mm -hmm. laid on Zencaster. And then when you said you've used it and it's worked so well, right after that call I, I had with you, Josh, I called him, Allison, we're on the right track. This is going to work. We got it. So, oh, awesome. Uh, yeah. Tell us about your podcast. Um, it's, it's called All the Things though, yeah. We Should Have Said. And Ooh. it's we are we, we call ourselves Recovering Assertiveness Challenged Women. Um, we <laughs> <laughs> we both we both have a hard time standing up for ourselves and being assertive and we're very good Monday morning quarterbacks about what we should have said in various mm -hmm. circumstances and uh, our husbands were constantly hear us talk about telling each other what we should have said in specific instances and we, we joked about how we should start a podcast for the longest time before we finally said maybe we should stop joking about it and really do it so we it's a lot about um, how to how to stand up for yourself and take up space, but in a way that feels authentic and comfortable um, for you. And we talk a lot about um, being women and moms and um, we're both runners though. Not Allison's like an amazing runner. I'm just, you know, like kind of jogging in her, <laughs> in her way. Um, but uh, she's also a cranberry grower on the East coast, which is how we met. Um, okay. So all roads lead back to cranberries. Yes. Oh my gosh, I love that. And it makes me think of the Seinfeld episode about the jerk store. That's all that keeps coming into my brain. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Could you subtitle the podcast The Jerk Store? The Jerk I mean, Store. Yeah, no, that's... This down. that's an episode. <laughs> oh, that could be a whole episode. I love that. Yes. Was he say something about the jerk store called and they're fresh out of you or something yeah, like that? Yes. <laughs> yes. And he's like, oh, I got to go back. And he's like in a car or something or taxi. And he's like, turn around. Like, I've got it. Like, that's the comeback. Oh that's God. what he's like, fun workshopping. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I love the concept of your podcast. Thank yeah. you. Is it, have you launched? Yeah. We have not. We have, we have our artwork and we have four episodes recorded and I have mm -hmm. not... I'm so not a tech person. The idea of getting it through the whole, mm. I, I know it's not going to be as hard as I think it's going to be, but just sitting down and really getting it um, and deciding how much editing to do too. Cause ours is a little more structured than this, but not much. It's a lot of conversational back and forth. Mm -hmm. And how much do you leave? I don't know if you face this issue. How do you decide when to edit and when to leave it as is and we tend to leave most of it in. We wanted it pretty raw to just yeah. be, you know, like a casual, like, Let's just let's just chat because it ends up being a lot more fun and a lot more just things come up that we wouldn't have thought of. And so we really like that sort of um, easy flow format. And so we tend to leave in almost everything and a lot less editing work. Yeah, we're, which is, we're lazy podcasters also. So like, <laughs> so we leave it. We leave I, a lot in. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm all about that. I did just right think now. of a manuscript that I could read if you will give me one moment to find it. Yeah. But I need Please. to make sure I understand the parameters. So this is a project that just isn't going to sell for whatever reason. Yeah, when you, you just don't love. mind. Yeah, when you yeah. just don't mind sharing, because we don't want you to share something that you know you think might sell or you want to do something with or whatever. So no, I'm fairly certain this will never sell, but I happen to love it. It doesn't <laughs> yes, fit perfect. cleanly into a genre. Nope, perfect. Which That's is the perfect. issue. I just have to. And while you're looking, I just yes. want to. Um, 
say to listeners out there, I was thinking about this the other day. If a dead manuscript that you hear on the show sparks like, you know, inspiration or interest or an idea, write into us and let us know. Cause I mean, we would love to hear that. And I'm sure the author would as well. So you can, you can email us at first at gmail.com and just let us oh know. Oh my gosh. The first time we've ever said the, the, the fact that we have an email address. I know. Yeah. We have a pod, <laughs> we have a podcast email now. So, you know, call me. Lisa, let <laughs> us know when you get to that point that you've got a, a Gmail account for your podcast. That's that is what, awesome. That's I absolutely it. will. I was going to say too, if you're, cause we have sort of a backlog of episodes, so this won't air for a bit. So when your podcast airs, let us know so we can link it to oh, the I'd love to. show notes and we can, you know, make that, that a, would, whole, a whole thing. That would be awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I did find the manuscript. Do you, do you want me to read the whole thing or just bits or what's the rule? Yeah, no, just read the whole thing. Yep. Okay. All right. So this is a project. Um, it's, it's kind of a picture book, but not really. It's kind of, kind of an easy reader, but not really. It's very quiet and it's about friendship. So it's it's probably, it's just one of those stories where it's a little crowded in the market, but I just loved the gentle humor and it was very fun to write. Um, it's called Alan, Bubba, and Lou. And Aww. Alan is a giraffe and Bubba is a hippo and Lou is a butterfly. Aww. So this is not nonfiction in case that was up for question. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> and not about agriculture. So it's three stories about these three friends. This is the first one called Cookies. Alan lived in a large, drafty, humdrum house all alone. He liked to read and knit and read some more. Alan's life was very quiet. And that felt almost but not completely just right. One day, right in the middle of a particularly tricky pearl stitch, ding dong, Alan frowned. No one ever came to visit. He opened the door and looked around, but it took him a long time to spot the visitor. Can I help you? Alan asked. I'm Lou, said the butterfly. I just moved in next door and I came over to borrow a cup of sugar. Why do you need a cup of sugar? Alan asked. Because I am going to make you a batch of my world famous cookies, answered Lou. I don't eat cookies, said Alan. I don't even like cookies. You'll like these cookies, said Lou. Come on, I know the recipe by heart. She fluttered right into Alan's house and started telling him what to do. Alan followed her directions very carefully. Before long, the whole kitchen was warm and smelled of cinnamon and vanilla. When they were cool enough to eat, Alan took one small bite, and then a second, much larger one. These are delicious, said Alan. I told you so, said Lou. Tomorrow you can come over to my place and we'll make lemonade. Do I need to bring the sugar? Alan asked. Nope, I've got everything. But I thought that's why you came over today, said Alan, for sugar. Lou blushed. Not really. I came over for a friend. Aww. So there's two more. Do you want me to keep going or would you like me to stop? I really don't want to tax your listening audience. <laughs> no, keep going because we haven't read, we haven't met the giraffe yet. Okay, all right. That's true. He come. Uh, well, you did meet the giraffe. The giraffe is Alan. You're going to meet the hippo in a moment. Oh, so that's yes. what I meant. Sorry. Well, see, I there's no illustrations. That's part of <laughs> Right. So this one is lemonade. Okay. The next day, Alan knocked on Lou's door. I'm here to make lemonade, he called, whistling as he waited. But to his great surprise, Bubba answered. Alan had seen this hippo around the neighborhood. He was the one who ate all the guacamole at the block party every summer. <laughs> and told very loud knock-knock jokes. Rude. <laughs> yes. Alan stopped whistling. Hey there, big guy. Why the long neck? Bubba guffawed at his own joke. 
Alan frowned. He was no longer in the mood for lemonade. Maybe I should come another day, Alan told Lou. Sometimes three is a crowd. Don't be silly, scoffed Lou. Try sticking your neck out for once. Alan sighed. Neck-related humor was not something he enjoyed. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you like to do when you're not making lemonade? Bubba asked. I like to read, sniffed Alan. Books, huh? Bubba said. I like books, too. You do? Asked Alan, surprised. That's how we met, said Lou. Bubba gave me a hand carrying my books home from the library. Huh, said Alan. That's not all, said Lou. Bubba likes to write books, too. Really? Asked Alan. And what do you write? Joke books, sci-fi, travel guides? Bubba blushed. I'm currently working on a book of rather complex knitting patterns. (laughs) (laughs) What what do you know? Exclaimed Alan. Would you ever want to show it to me? I love to knit. How about tomorrow, said Bubba. Sounds splendid, Alan replied. If you bring some tortilla chips, I'll even make guacamole. As he left, Alan pulled Lou aside. Thanks for having me over for lemonade. You didn't come over for lemonade, Lou said. This time you came over for a friend. Alan smiled. Having two friends felt exactly just right. I love these characters. Thank you. I do too. But they, this doesn't, I mean, this is very George and Martha where it's like these shorts within a book. And that's just not a thing that exists anymore. And then um, the last one is hide and seek, which, you know, a butterfly is going to win <laughs> because of the Spoiler huge alert. advantage. Um, right. And this story really was written because I wanted to find a way to reference a family story in which there we were at Disney World and there was this woman yelling at her husband about he was carrying these ice cream and, and she kept yelling, Ellen, everybody can see you. And Alan is not bothering anybody. You are bothering everybody. But uh, so I had to write a story about a giraffe playing hide and seek to get in the line. Everybody can see you. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh nice. Perfect. But, uh, yeah. Thank you for indulging me in my, in my dead manuscript. That was very fun. I, and the characterization <laughs> of those three characters is so neighborly tone perfect. Uh, yes, it's I'm, perfect. I'm just, I'm so glad to have been exposed to the three of them. Oh, yes, thank you. They, thank you so much for sharing. That was really fun. They're Midwest nice, right? Is yeah, right. <laughs> yes, exactly. they are. Yes, they are. Very yes, perfect. <laughs> that could go on the book jacket. Yes, if that ever gets published. Yeah. Midwest nice. Midwest <laughs> nice. <laughs> Midwest nice with Liesl Detlisman. That's right. Yes. Yes. Well, Lisa, thank you so, so much for coming on and for sharing your manuscript. And just, it was, that was such a pleasant way to spend my morning. Thank you. Oh my gosh. You both are wonderful. And it's been a real honor to, to speak with you both. And I appreciate all the support and all you do for the whole kid lit industry. It's wonderful that you guys are really getting the word out and amplifying people's voices. and, And that's, that's really a blessing. Thank you so much. You may contribute a verse. Thanks for listening this week. Find out more about us and our guests and the artists behind their cover and theme music at our websites, verse.show, renegenerate.com, and joshmontgords.com. See you next verse. Bye.